Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, film geeks, today's class is all about Nefarious, the unexpected Christian film. Let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. Y'all, so about 6.30 this morning, I wake up super early for no good reason, and that's mainly because I'm not a morning person, and it takes me that long to really just wake up, and I don't really drink coffee in the morning, so I just I have to wake myself up. If I go for a run, a walk, or I go to the gym, I usually drink a Celsius right before. Uh, that's an energy drink for those who do not know, and I basically use Celsius as a pre-workout. That's what I do use it for. But I didn't go working out this morning at all. So I just kind of laid in bed until I just kind of woke up and got ready for the day. And at about 630 this morning, there was this loud boom outside, just really loud. Um, Just sounded like something just kind of burst and exploded. And, you know, living in a city where people get for fun, of course, I, you know, worst case scenario. But thankfully, one of my roommates, she's from here. She grew up in Algiers. Um, I kind of live west of the French. I don't kind of, I do. I live west of the French Quarter, not far from St. Charles Avenue. So I guess you could say if there were a safer part of town, this would probably be it. As far as like heinous crime goes, mostly it's car theft. Um, I mean, you can get shot anywhere in the city of New Orleans. But, you know, this being that kind of city, that was my first thought. Did someone just get shot? What just happened? I'm waiting to hear sirens. I'm waiting to hear people screaming. I don't know what's happening because I've never heard a handgun shot before. Now, I've heard a shotgun and I've heard rifles, but I've never heard a handgun shot. You know, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, you know, obviously, in, you know, metropolitan urban city kind of. But I use I grew up mostly northwest Mecklenburg County. Charlotte, so closer to Huntersville, where there's a little more country, at least there was, they're starting to build that area up. So it wasn't uncommon to hear people shooting off shotguns and rifles, you know, 4th of July, um, New Year's, or just because. So I've heard, I know what those sound like, and I know the sounds are a bit different. So I'm trying to figure out, was that a handgun? What was going on? But my roommate's like, I think it might have been a transformer, which I believe it was because there were utility vehicles out pretty early about an hour or so ago. So something, you know, exploded somewhere, but we didn't lose power. And that's all that matters. And as far as I can tell, nobody died today. It is the city of New Orleans. And 
it's 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 you know uh, there's a woman I follow on TikTok who is local here, and she calls this place, this city, the trap. Uh, you know, she always says the trap is going to keep on trapping. And it, it's it's kind of sad. You know, she's like, you know, Gotham City without Batman. That's New Orleans. And um, yeah, it, it's a beautiful city. But I hear from locals all the time that this is not the city they recognize anymore. The crime is just out of this world. But I love it here. It, it's beautiful here. The culture is amazing. The people here are amazing in spite of everything that people are going through. And you can't find food like this anywhere else. So it's, it's things like that that kind of keep you stuck because New Orleans is one of those cities you don't live in. It lives in you. It's hard to separate. Even when I go home back to Charlotte to visit family, I'm itching to get back, itching to get back. Like, I don't want to be here no more. I want to go home. I, I, I want to go where it smells a little funky, but I know there's good food down the street. That's where I want to be. But yeah, that was my morning. How was y'all's Monday morning? Y'all, it's the last full week of April. May is next week. May is next. Who's, who's, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm absolutely not ready. Like, if you're ready, I'm a little offended. I'm not ready for the summer. Ugh, I, I, I haven't even seen any termites yet. Knock on wood. My roommate says she's seen termites. Now there's termite poop all over the house. That's something you can't avoid. You just have to kind of clean it up. For those who don't know, t- um, New Orleans, and I didn't know this before I moved here, New Orleans has a termite season. And it's usually kind of uh, late winter, like springish. And then they go away by the summer when it gets a little too hot. Um, so it's not uncommon to see, you know, big, tarps covering houses and you know that that house is getting treated for termites or they're getting you know bug infest infestation you know someone's dropping a bomb in there to kill whatever and treat it for probably the next year so i didn't know that before i moved here that termites were such a big thing here i'd never seen a termite before but i haven't really seen much of any termites this year but i have seen evidence that there have been termites in the house i just haven't seen any actual ones and once they're here they're annoying my I'm annoyed. I have to basically live in the dark in my room because they're attracted to bright lights. Um, my room smells like peppermint because peppermint gets rid of them. It's really hard living in a house and you're renting and your landlord doesn't take it seriously when you say, hey, your house needs to be treated. And she's like, oh, I got the house treated two years ago. Like, ma'am, you said that last year. But yeah, so far, so good. Knock on wood. And they usually they're gone by the time the rain starts and the rain usually starts about mid-June and then the rain doesn't go away until almost August. So it's about to be muggy and wet in the city of New Orleans. And then, you know, the, you know, on, you know, the constant threat of hurricanes, that thing. I mean, but you know, you're used to it. But y'all, let's talk about nefarious. So, and I said the unexpected Christian movie. Why did I say unexpected Christian movie? Because I did not know this was a Christian movie until I watched it. I, I didn't know. I had so many, I'd heard the name, I'd, I'd heard that this was out, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even bother to look into it. I, I may or may not have had this on a list of movies I wanted to see in the month of April. I don't know. I'd have to look at it. But, and I think only because I love the word nefarious. Now you might hear me say nefarious and that's because I love Despicable Me and because of Despicable Me, I will forever and always pronounce it nefarious. So that might go back and forth just to let you know. But, you know, I love that word. So I think that may have been why it was on the list, just out of curiosity. But I had no idea what this was about until I went in. I read a brief synopsis when I was reserving my ticket on the AMC app and I went to see it. I wasn't necessarily planning on it. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't on my radar. I had a whole I have a whole list of movies that I still need to see. Um, 
But people have been begging me to see this movie on three different platforms. Now, people ask me to see movies or say, hey, are you going to watch this movie? Are you going to review this movie? And I wouldn't say I ignore it. I definitely take note. But I, I've also said many times, like, I see what I see because I want to see it. I'm, I'm not getting paid to do this. Everything I do is pretty much out of pocket. I have AMC A-list, so I, t- I pay about 21-ish bucks a month for that. But everything else is pretty much out of pocket. Now, if I was getting paid to do this, then I would see pretty much everything I could. But I kind of have to limit it to movies that I actually want to see. Now, with AMC A-list, I can afford to see something I really don't want to see and something I'm probably not going to like in the end. But... So Nefarious just wasn't on the immediate list of things to see, but people on three different social media platforms were begging me to see this. TikTok, Instagram, and Substack Notes. Maybe Twitter, too. I don't even know. But yeah, people have been begging me to see this movie, and I'm like, what is so special about this movie? Now, anyone that follows me knows I love scary movies. They they know I love supernatural movies, um, stuff like that, but I also have a lot of conservative Christians who follow me, so it's not something they would typically suggest um no one clowns on me for what i like to watch i think people are like slightly concerned like do you not get nightmares are you okay do you need to pray do you need prayer like stuff like that like people are you know super sweet about it but no one like you know bashes me for it but i i wouldn't expect any of my followers to openly especially on instagram because that's where most of my conservative followers are is instagram um i wouldn't expect Well, I wouldn't say most, but I'd say a good chunk of my Instagram following are conservative Christian family people. I wouldn't expect anyone on my Instagram to like push this movie, push a movie like this, something uh, thriller, horror, anything like that. So I was slightly curious. So I wanted to see like, when is the movie playing? And the only showing last week was at like 9.50 at night on a Friday because I went to see... Chevalier and uh, the Pope's Exorcist last Thursday. I was supposed to see um, The Covenant. I'm actually going to see that this afternoon. So I went to see um, Nefarious at like 9.50 at night. I drank a sparkling ice caffeine drink and had you know rallies to eat right before. It's like one, I need a proper meal and two, I got to stay awake. So that's that's what we what I did went to see the movie and let me tell y'all I had no like I said I I did not know I had no idea what this was going into it just kind of a brief synopsis enough to kind of pique my interest um I think I saw the word serial killer I was like oh I might like this and um yeah it just the synopsis reminded me a little bit of Silence of the Lambs just you know this serial killer versus a psychiatrist kind of deal you know we had Clary Starling who was a budding soon-to-be behavioral analysis FBI agent so kind of in the same vein so I was obviously interested so I'm sitting in the theater disturbingly early I'd say like two minutes early which is not normal for me hold up y'all I think there's a spider here it's a spider but i can't tell if it's alive or dead and i don't want to pause this thing at all you know what we'll figure it out he's not moving i'm not moving so you know we're just gonna chill here anyways so i'm sitting you know in my seat in the theater you know i i don't think i got popcorn i I don't remember i don't know i don't think i did i don't think i got popcorn or anything because i'd already eaten in the car rallies burger fries and then I had a drink and I didn't want to eat too much because I knew I'd have to drive home afterwards and I didn't want to be too sleepy so 
I'm sitting there and people are kind of coming in a little late as the previews are starting. And I'm noticing it's an older crowd, like old people, I would say. Um, and I'm very curious. I'm confused slightly because my understanding is this is like a thriller kind of. This is supernatural horror kind of deal, demon possession. I knew that much, but I'm seeing older people in this theater and I'm like, what? I'm very confused. This is not the crowd that I would expect for this kind of movie at 9.50 at night. So I'm like, what is this? What kind of... My immediate thought was the blind side. So I don't know if I've mentioned this. I probably have mentioned this here. I worked at a movie theater years ago and I worked at a movie theater when the blind side came out. And I remember working you know, with my crew and all of us being very, very shocked at the crowd, the kind of demographic that came out to see this movie was mostly white conservative Christians. Um, we figured, you know, this is a sports movie, so we'd see a lot of sports people, but it was really just a lot of church going people. We were like, wow, I don't, I don't think we really saw that coming for that. Just, you know, mainly the crew that I was with, but. That's what, you know, seeing the people coming in reminded me of. That was my first thought. Like, these people look like they the same people that came to see The Blind Side. Is that okay? Movie's starting, and as the movie's going, that that's when it made sense to me. Like, oh, this is a Christian movie. That's why the crowd looks the way it does. So what is this? Let's get some of the cute little basics out the way. Y'all, there's a lot to talk about here. A lot to talk about. I'm going to check out the spider real quick, and then I'm going to come back. Okay, so that was a spider, and it was not dead. It is now. We're Gucci. We're good. We're ready to go. No one has to burn the house down. Let's continue. So, nefarious nefarious now i'm gonna let you know right here right now there will be spoilers i don't know else how i don't know how else to talk about this movie outside of spoilers and also if you are not christian in any way or if you are pro-choice um and you are not up for hearing things that you don't quite agree with if that's not if you're not mature enough to handle it i know that sounds mean i don't know how else to say it honestly um you may want to stop now because one this is a christian film and it is a very pro-life film it covers the three biggest pro-life issues euthanasia abortion and execution it covers all three so i'm just letting you know right now so don't come into a comment section somewhere and saying this is that and the third i warned you this movie is Christian and it's pro-life and we're going to go there. We're going to talk about this movie as it is, not the way you, I, or whoever else thinks it should be. It is what it is. So there will be spoilers. This movie is Christian and it's pro-life and we're going to talk about those things. So let's go. Let's get into it. So what is this movie? Nefarious. This was directed by two dudes, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. I should know these names. Okay, I, I, there's no excuse. I, I should have known who these men were because I've seen a good chunk of their movies. I've seen, I think I've seen most of the movies they've done. They did a movie called What If in 2010. So again, remember I said I worked at a movie theater, right? Now we actually had this movie, What If, at our theater, small little Christian movie. And we didn't think it was gonna be with us for very long. No, we had that thing for months. I think that was one of, when I was there, one of our longest running films because people kept wanting to see it and the studios weren't ready to pull it back. As long as it was making money, 
it it was Gucci. And here's the thing about um, movies and movie theaters, because I know you've probably heard it said that movie theaters don't make a whole lot of money off of ticket sales, which is very true. Those first couple of weeks, um, movie theaters maybe see 10% of that. It all depends on what's been negotiated. But the longer a movie is there, the more money the theater gets, that scale starts to slide. So the first couple of weeks, it might be 90, 10, 90% of the ticket sales go to the studio, 10% goes to the theater. And then that scale changes as the weeks go on. So it might go to 70, 30, 60, 40. So, and eventually it flips if the movie's there for very long. And we had this movie for months. So it got to a point where most of the ticket sales that were being made off of this movie, our theater was getting. And we, and that thing kept selling out. So we had it in a normal, regular big theater, but that theater did very, very well for a while until it was only getting half full. So we moved it to one of our smaller theaters and we had a little kind of artsy section where we had a bar in our theater um, where people could drink alcohol but they could only drink alcohol in those theaters unless we had like a special event or something and these were like four, four small like 30 to 50 seater theater like really really small not even 50 if i had if i remember maybe t- like 25 to 30 so we had the movie in there for a little while that was too small we kept selling out and people kept wanting to know, okay, this is full. When's the next one? So we had to move it. We kept going back and forth until it was time for it to go. And it did incredibly well. These guys also did um, God's Not Dead 1, 2, and 3. They did not do the fourth film, which makes sense. I thought the fourth one was kind of crap. But 1, 2, and 3, solid for that genre. You know what I mean? Um, what else did they do? They also did uh, Do You Believe, I think is what it's called. I don't know much about that movie. Didn't see it. Yep. Do you believe they also did uh, Unplanned, which is um, the Abby Johnson biopic about the woman who uh, used to manage a Planned Parenthood, one of the largest Planned Parenthoods in her region, and famously quit after watching an abortion on an ultrasound. And ended up becoming one of the biggest pro-life advocates in the country, um, kind of a pioneer in a sense. So... Yeah, that's pretty much it. They also did a movie with Candace Cameron Bure called Finding Normal. And nope, I was wrong. They did do God's Not Dead uh, 4. They did God's Not Dead, We the People. I don't know how they strayed so far from God's Not Dead 1 to God's Not Dead 2. And then jumped. Now I'm confused. I have to look more into that because I don't understand, sirs. How do you go from, you know, God's Not Dead 1, God's Not Dead 2, which are relatively good, to God's Not Dead 4, which was just not all that good at all, which wasn't good at all. It just wasn't. Um, It was just nonsensical to the nth degree. I understand the point they were trying to make, what it was about, um, because that one was more geared towards homeschooling. Each kind of movie has its own little point of what they want to talk about. But, yeah, it was just not good. It was just too rushed. It just didn't make any sense. But, yeah. What have you? Anyways, yeah, that was a random tangent. So these guys are pretty good at what they do within the genre in which they work. So this movie is definitely a departure from what they normally do, which is normally like family style Christian dramas. This is definitely not that. This stars Sean Patrick Flannery, who is amazing, kind of handsome. He he was in a movie called The Evil Within, which did kind of well. Frank and Penelope Love Hurts. Insight, Born a Champion, American Fighter, The Outsider. So he's not new, definitely not new to the game. We also have Jordan Belfi, whom I had actually never heard of before Thursday. 
And he plays our, you know, resident psychiatrist. But it looks like he has a, a, a bit of a small, small kind of resume. But he, he's trying to get somewhere. But this movie, Nefarious. Hmm. Where to even begin? So let's start something. Now with Christian movies, I always say, you know, message heavy quality light, which means there's, they're, they're all about presenting them the message. It's all about the message, making sure you understand the message, yada, 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 whatever Christian message they're trying to push, whether that's prayer, community, uh, redemption, prodigal son, what have you is they're pushing that message. And then everything else is kind of quality low. That includes the way it's shot, the writing, the acting. There's not much emphasis on those part because it's all about the message. This movie wasn't quite that. I felt like, you know, cinematography, acting, writing were very on par. Um, this movie was shot very well. Most of it was shot in one room, which is an interrogation room. And we'll get to what you know what all of that's about in a minute when we talk about kind of the message of the film. Sean Patrick Flannery gives an incredible performance. It's so good. He's so good at this. Um, wonderful because he essentially has to play two people at one time. Again, we'll get into all of that. Jordan Belfi, I think, does a great job playing our psychiatrist. And I, I like the way this was shot. The sound editing was very interesting. So again, this takes place in mostly one room, which is a very large kind of interrogation room or a meeting room in a prison. So it's just, you know, a table, two chairs, two dudes, and a lot of open space. So it kind of echoes a bit. Um, it's very full sound, what you would expect to hear in a room that's very large and kind of empty. And for me, it reminded me of kind of being inside one's own head, which is Makes sense for the nature of this film. So acting wise, great. Cinematography was great. I thought it was the writing was pretty good for this. Um, it's dialogue heavy. The only thing I think kind of brought the film down was at the very end with Glenn Beck. The film is very supernatural. It's a very much a psychological thrift. Excuse me. It's very much a psychological thriller. Kind of messes with your head a little bit. And then we end on this positive note with this interview with um, Glenn Beck. And I understand after looking into it a little bit, this is actually supposed to mirror a real life interview between the author on which this book is this on which this movie is based and with Glenn Beck. So it's trying to mirror that. And um, this book movie is based on a book by Steve Deese called The Nefarious Plot. Never heard of it until I saw the movie. I don't think I'd even ever really heard of Steve Deese, to be honest with you. But that, I think, was the point of um, the 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 interview with Glenn Beck. There's nothing wrong with Glenn Beck. I think he did fine playing himself. I think the ending was just not, it didn't really match the mood of the movie. I don't think there was a, I don't think it was necessary to end this on a positive note. I think they kind of left it where it was, where he almost killed himself in the execution room, when the, in the witness room of the execution chamber, if, I, if that makes sense. So what is this about? Now, again, there will be spoilers. Spoilers are going to be had. This movie is about a psychiatrist named Dr. James Martin. He is an atheist and he has been assigned to evaluate an inmate who is on death row. He is scheduled to be executed that day. So he has to determine whether or not this person is legally insane or not. And if he's insane or mentally incompetent, legally, they cannot execute him. So basically, they're counting on this dude because apparently he's killed like six people in the most heinous way to sign off on this execution and get rid of him. They're ready for him to go. And 
so James Martin, he comes in and he's been given this task at the last minute because the psychiatrist that has been evaluating, that has been evaluating this in- inmate jumped to his death, killed himself. That's actually the first thing we see in this movie. This man kind of jumping, not kind of, well, he jumps to his death. Immediately, my first thought was the movie Devil. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I think it was produced or written. It had something to do with M. Night Shyamalan, but basically a movie about these people who are stuck in an elevator and one of them is the devil and they have to kind of figure out who. And one by one, these people die off. If you've never seen that movie, it's actually really good. I enjoy it for the most part. Chris Messina is in it. Um, God, Logan green god i can't remember his name but i love him he has really deep brown eyes and he's really cute but that's neither logan marshall green there we go that dude he's in the movie called devil great movie you know typical m night Shyamalan takes place in um philadelphia so yeah that's what it this movie reminded me of because that's how devil starts it starts with you know a dude jumping to his death committing suicide and but that's how we get to Dr. James Martin. Someone has to fill that space and he's been chosen to do it. And apparently this is all by design because Edward, our inmate who is accused and has been convicted of killing six people and is about to be executed for it. Um, apparently Edward didn't kill anybody, but it was the demon who has been possessing him since he was very, very young who did all of the killing for him. And he's very cruel about it because he has moments where he possesses him and he does these evil things and he snaps out of it. And he leaves Edward to deal with the aftermath, the pain, the guilt and the shame and the fear and the confusion of it all. And even leaving Edward to deal with the aftermath, the punishment. And now he is pushing for Edward's execution. He wants, this demon wants the psychiatrist to sign off and kill him. Cause it's not just that, not for two reasons. Number one, he's done with Edward. He's done with him. He's ready to be done with him and he's ready to move on to the next. And he wants to send Edward off on one last cruel hurrah. Um, In a lot of states that have um, the death penalty and they have multiple options for the death penalty, inmates are pretty much allowed to choose to decide how they want to go. That's not uncommon. And this inmate chose... The electric chair. He could have, you know, vied for lethal injection, but he wanted something cruel and painful and awful and something that's going to take a little bit longer. You know, he doesn't want Edward to peacefully go to sleep and then expire. No, he wants Edward to feel every ounce of pain, everything for this thing that he did not do, technically, because Edward is under possession. So the demon's plan is to leave Edward moments before and let him feel all of that pain not even you know show edward a little bit of mercy and grace and no no he could he's not going to do that he can't do that he won't do that but also because this demon tells dr james martin who is an atheist that by the end of the day he will have committed three murders and that's where the whole pro-life thing kind of comes in so we learn a little bit about This doctor, through the demon who has been watching him apparently his whole life, knows everything about him. And on top of that, we're also learning a little bit about God, but from a different perspective. You know, when we listen or read the Bible or what have you, we're always learning about it from, you know, these positive characters in the Bible and how much they love and adore the Lord. I don't think we ever give much thought to how people who hate God view God. When I say people, I mean demons, um, the fallen angels, those who actually fought and went to war with the Lord and then fell along with Satan, right? Now, if you don't believe in 
the Christian Bible. None of what I say is going to matter to you or make sense to you, but this is the Bible. So we're just going to go with it. So we never give much thought to how they might feel. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I think the only thing that I can think of that even dares to even venture down that road is paradise lost john milton if you've never read it highly recommend absolutely wonderful um but if you you know be on your guard it's going to make you feel a certain way but it's beautifully done beautifully written so the word pandemonium that's where that comes from paradise lost and we get a bit of who God is through the eyes of the enemy and it's interesting because they refer to God as the enemy they call him the enemy and how they were created without really a will. They were created kind of with the will, but without one, without real free will, the way we were given. You know, they were created as angels to worship and honor and just be around God 24 seven. But then, you know, you had Satan who decided he thought he could rule better than God and fought him for it and lost and was cast down. And then God creates us in his image, you know, loving and adoring these creation, this creation that's he mirrored off mirrored off of himself and that's what the whole thing about you know the fall and sin and all this jazz is really the enemy attacking us to get to him because they can't really get to him it's very interesting i i think this probably presents the gospel in an interesting backwards kind of way and i think it's a great way a great gospel presentation for those who may not know the lord or who might be young in their faith or they might have questions they might be curious i think and this is going to sound bad and slightly mean but just hear me out hear me out i i think this presents the gospel in a very relatable way because we are sinful human beings and i think it's hard to see the goodness in god when sometimes we struggle to even see the goodness in ourselves but when you hear about the gospel and how much god loves us and cherishes us and how God has really worked everything out to reconcile us to him through the eyes of someone who hates him. 
it, it it's it's different. It tweaks a little bit different. It hits a little bit different. It, it, it produces, I think, something bigger and deeper. This presents the gospel in probably the best way I've ever heard in a film. Honestly, truthfully. So if you're someone who is Christian, who was on the fence and thought, does this glorify the devil? Absolutely not. This glorifies God in the most backwards way. And it's all through the lips of the demon. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, right? So quality, I think, is great. Quality is fine. The message is probably one of the best Christian movies I've ever seen in a film. It's not contrived. I mean, it's a little contrived because obviously we're pushing a gospel message, right? And it's very pro-life. It's not un, you know, it's not, you know, hiding that at all. But it doesn't do it in the fluffy, obnoxious, you know, somebody blow your nose kind of snot way that we see in a lot of Christian movies from these, you know, and it's not Christians trying to push the gospel. Right. And I think the, my issue with a lot of Christian movies is the way Christians are portrayed. And I think Jesus revolution actually did a good job with this. The way Christians are portrayed in a lot of movies is they portray Christians as who Christians want, how Christians want to be seen and not how they actually are. And the thing is, Christians are no different than anyone else. We're supposed to be. That's the whole point of the gospel is we're supposed to be transformed by Jesus' sacrifice in the gospel. But the thing is, we're no different than anybody else. And I think Christian movies have a hard time really showing that, that Christians are no different than anybody else. You know, they always have Christians on kind of this higher moral ground. But looking at the um, the resume of these directors, a lot of the movies that they have produced and pushed really show, I think, kind of the true nature of Christians that we're just broken, fallen people trying to get it right. And sometimes we make mistakes, we slip up. And even pastors, if you look at the God's not dead one and two, they don't always have it together. Sometimes their faith needs a little bit of work and they need a bigger push. So I, I think this kind of may be right up there out, even though the the genre itself is very different. It's definitely a shift from what they've normally done. But I think being real about the gospel and being real about the journey is something that's very much up their alley. So I, it's, it shocks me not after looking at their resume, seeing the way they navigated this. It, it makes sense. It, it fits. I think these were the perfect guys to kind of handle that. I think a lot of Christian, other Christian directors are too focused on trying to make Christians seem like the righteous people that everyone wants to emulate. And truth is, to the rest of the world, we're pretty obnoxious. We're, we seem pretty fake and people don't take us seriously. But I think when you show Christians being real human beings, we're taken a lot more seriously, especially in film. You know, I understand we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be of the world. But the fact is we're living in the world and... We go about our business as everyone else. We're trying to do the right thing and make good decisions just like everyone else. The only difference between us and those who don't believe is that we are trying to do it through Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. And I think that's what a lot of movies forget to show is that we still need grace. We still need help. We need it every day. These mercies renew, yada, yada, yada. And that it's not just, you know, you make one decision for Christ and everything's better after that. But it literally is a lifelong journey from the moment you accept Jesus until the day you die. It is an absolute journey. And I think a lot of Christian movies just leave that out. A lot, of, But you have things like Jesus Revolution that really just shows kind of the hard parts of the journey. And then you have this movie Nefarious, which doesn't show the Christian journey at all. If anything, it shows the relationship or lack thereof between the devil and God and why we are so vital in that battle and why we get attacked the way that we do. It is because God loves us so much and 
the demons hate God so much, they can't get to him, but they can get to us. And if they can use us to turn us away from him, pull us into a deeper hole, take these little things that make that may, might seem not like that big of a deal, they're not that bad, and then all of a sudden they explode and there's no turning back. That's what he's, that's, that's it. And I think this has a way of really explaining just the gravity of sin and how it separates us from God and the devil's role in all of that. I, I think this does such a good job making that make sense. Does that make sense? So now pro-life, how do we even get there? So obviously this movie is about an execution, right? We see the guy, the psychiatrist driving into the jail and we see the people protesting on the side. Typical, right? This is not, that's not abnormal. But we get into James Martin, the devil, who is desperate to get inside James, desperate to use James to spread his message and to um, write his story, so to speak, to be a mouthpiece for evil in a way. And so he does this by trying to break James down, by trying to make James feel like absolute crap, making him feel guilty, consuming him with some of the sins of his own past, even though he's an atheist. Right. So he says, you're going to have you'll have committed three murders by the end of that day. And he you know, so I'm thinking, how is he going to do that? Like, is he going to kill somebody in the prison? Like, how's it going to happen? No, he takes things from James past and even from his present and his future. So the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future, here they are. So he talks about James' mom, who was terminal and died via euthanasia, a decision that James made and basically calls James out on his reasons for why he did what he did. He says, you know, she was in terrible pain. She was terminal and she she was suffering so bad. And Dean was like, bro, you were inconvenienced. You were tired of taking care of her. You just wanted to get on with your life. And hey, she was going to die anyway. Really just kind of pulling out some of the, the guilt that he was experiencing um, with his mother's death, kind of just digging and clawing at that. And it's so interesting seeing the devil do this. And then also thinking about how Jesus was tempted on the mountain, kind of sort of while he was in the wilderness and just the way the Bible tells us, you know, in Christ, there is no condemnation and seeing him being condemned in that way and being accused of being this awful evil person, taking me back kind of to revelation 12, where it talks about how we have an accuser who accuses us before the Lord and kind of seeing that acted out. You know, you hear about these phrases and things in the Bible and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't, but this movie I think takes those things that we hear and read and visual and, and makes it visual, makes it make sense in a very visual way. Cause sometimes you need that little bit of extra help. I think this does a great job of really portraying and pushing what it looks like and what it could look like when the enemy is your accuser. That's what it is. And so there he is with that. That's one murder. He says that's one. And so, you know, he, they're talking some more. He's, he's giving him more information about who he is, what he is. And, you know, at one point the, Doctor, Dr. James Martin challenges and said, oh, if you're really the devil, possess me, possess me. And I'm like, no, no, you don't just invite things in. Okay, he's not a vampire. You can't just do that. Right. But, you know, the demon doesn't. And I, it's first I'm like, okay, well, maybe he is faking it. But we remember that. The devil told us well, this demon told us that there's a process. He hasn't quite broken him down enough. It, it doesn't in the moment it's like, OK, maybe this guy is faking it. But then you get to the end, you realize he needed more time. He wasn't vulnerable enough. He wasn't broken enough. He wasn't there wasn't no access. The access just wasn't there yet. 
So now we get into murder number two. And it turns out James Guy has a girlfriend. He's about 35 years old, but he's not ready to be a dad yet. And the demon figures out or reads his mind or whatever that, you know, he's not really committed to his relationship. He's thinking about breaking up with his girlfriend. However, his girlfriend is pregnant and his girlfriend is at an abortion clinic while he's at the jail. And it's crazy. It's crazy because this demon sounds a lot like a really bad conscience because he's he's talking about how, how shouldn't you be there with her? Shouldn't you be there holding her hand? You shouldn't you be walking her through this? You know she's doing this for you. You know you're doing she's doing this because she thinks that if she does this, you'll stay with her, but you're thinking about leaving her. You want to break up with her. Don't you know this is what we love? We love it when you murder your babies and you rip them from your mother's womb, the safest place they're supposed to be, like a very pro-life message, but it's visual in a way I've never seen before because it's from a different perspective. Now we're hearing from a demon what this act really means and how much they really rejoice over it because we've taken this God-given gift that we have been given as women. It's it's an incredible, our, the female body is a miracle. I could go on and on, but that's another another podcast for another time. And how much it pleases the devil when we rip babies from the wound, how we welcome this baby. They welcome, you know, the baby into their arms or whatever, what have you. And so we really see the moment when the abortion kind of happens, but not at the abortion clinic. We're still at the jail and the de- demon is kind of counting down and saying, you know, she's in the operating room. They're, they're going for it. It's done. It's done. And so Dr. James Martin races out of the Uh, the room and he finds a phone and he calls the abortion clinic and he's like, Hey, is, is she there? Um, He's trying to get her on the phone. It's not happening. So he's calls the abortion clinic. Hey, is she there? He was like, she's like, Oh, we just reeled her to recovery. For those of you who don't really know what a recovery is at an abortion clinic, once the procedure is done, if they go in for just, you know, a regular DNC, there are many different ways to do an abortion. It all depends on how far along she is and how well it'll work. Um, if it's super, super early, they might do the abortion pill, which induces a miscarriage, basically. And then you might have a, but if it's farther along, you might have a DNC, which you have to do at the abortion clinic. And after the abortion is done, they wheel the woman to a recovery room. It's not like an ICU where they might give her a bed, usually no. No, um, they usually don't have the space for that, but it is a large room and you're used, sometimes you're in there with other women and recovering so that you can walk right out. There really isn't a follow-up process unless something goes wrong and there are complications like hemorrhaging or anything like that, which they may have to call an ambulance because most of these clinics are not equipped to deal with those kinds of medical issues. So it's it's a very cold room. It's isolating other women who are crying. They're upset. They're heartbroken. They're trying to, you know, muster up the courage to be okay with the decision they just made. But it's a part of the process that you don't, no one talks about. They don't talk about what happens after. A lot of, I think a lot of people really think that a woman goes in for, for an abortion, and then she walks right back out. No, afterwards, they reel her to recovery. And it's not like going into a hospital room like an ICU where they give you a bed and fluids and a television so you can rest and sleep. No, it's you're in a, a chair in a room until it's time for you to leave. And usually you're there with other women. It's not like you're being tended to by nurses, being checked on, followed up. None of that. It's, it's very isolating and nobody talks about it. So for them to even mention that part, I thought was very interesting. Now. Well, what about this third murder? Well, that's where the execution comes in. We have a murder from his past, a murder from his present, and now we have a murder from the future. And that's why James is there. He wants James to sign off on the execution. 
because it has now been deemed that in order for this man to be executed, a psychiatrist has to sound off, sign off saying he is fit for execution. He's mentally fit, which is a crazy thing to say out loud, but here we are. And if he signs his name on that warrant, he's basically signing away his death and it's on him. The entire thing rests on his decision. Nothing. If he says no, he lives. If he says yes, he dies. It's up to he is carrying the weight of the decision of life and death in his hands. And this is the third time he's had to do it. He did it for his mother when he decided to have his mother euthanized in the Pacific Northwest. He did it with his girlfriend when he's told his girlfriend, hey, I'm not ready to be a dad. I don't want to be, a, you know, if this is what you want, I don't want to be with you. Pressuring his girlfriend into getting an abortion, even though he's planning on breaking up with her anyway. So and now we have a man whom he knows at this point he knows is innocent. Because he knows this demon is real. He, he, he knows it, but he, he's not quite ready to make the leap. He knows that this man is possessed by a demon. He knows that this man is innocent, that he himself is really not right. He's, he's under duress in a sense. He knows. But then things get violent because the demon realizes, hey, he's about to switch and not sign off. So let me do something drastic. He harms him in a personal way. harms him in a personal way. And now that he is riled up, angry and feeling a little vengeful, he signs it and says, this man is fit for execution. We get to the chamber where things are going and he decides I have to see this thing all the way through. Now I was very curious as to how they were going to show this, if they were actually going to show the execution and they do, and it's brutal and it's ugly and it's, it's hard to watch. Um, it could have been more gruesome. I think if you've seen Shawshank Redemption, then you're, you're not unfamiliar. But it's been a while since I've seen this movie. It, it was pretty ugly. So we kind of see the process. The moment when he is waiting for his last meal, but he doesn't get it. Because when the guy came in and asked him for his order for a last meal, the devil, the demon switched back and said, actually, you know what? You know, I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. So when he's Edward in his cell waiting for his food, it's like, hey, where's my last meal? And he's like, man, you said you didn't want one. Don't you remember that? And he realizes, crap, the demon took away my last meal. We see him get his head shaved because he's getting electrocuted. And in order for to get electrocuted, you can't have hair on your head because it messes with shit. So I said shit. It messes with stuff. So they have to be bald so that it's a clear current. We watch that part. We watch them them fasten him into we watch them walk him down to the chamber. Um, we watch them strap him into the chair and we watch them flip the switch. Not once, but twice. And all the while, James is sitting there among a bunch of witnesses who are watching this man die. I cannot imagine sitting there and watching someone die. I can I don't care what they've done. The the nightmares, the trauma. I mean, it's one thing to watch it in a movie, but to watch it in real life, to know that you just watch someone just minutes and seconds before breathing, living, and now they're no longer. That it's that's insane to me. Absolutely insane. And that's when the movie should have ended because that's when the possession for James starts. Edward's dead. That vessel is gone. James has been broken down. He is, he's vulnerable enough. There's enough access and he slips in and he loses his mind, so to speak, and almost kills himself. And apparently is saved only by what they could deem to be a miracle. 
because he puts the gun under his chin and he pulls the trigger not once, not twice, I think three times, and nothing happens. But we learn later in the Glenn Beck interview that when, you know, ballistics tested the gun, it fired just fine. There should have been no issue. He should have been dead. So something miraculous happened, but he's not quite ready yet to say he's a Christian. He believes in God. To me, that was probably the most honest part. You know, this idea that we, I think a lot of movies, Christian films, you know, after someone has this grand experience, all of a sudden they're a believer. I mean, that's not always normal or natural or true. Sometimes it takes a minute. You've gone through something you can't explain and you're trying to figure out how to make it make sense. But you know that what you experienced was very, very real. You're just not sure how to make sense of it. But we see this man who's kind of on his way to getting there. He knows that demons exist. He knows that evil exists. Now comes a part where you realize that God also exists. And you have a choice to make. You can either serve the devil or you can serve the Lord. Because that's the choice that he's being given. Serve me is what the demon is telling him. Do what I want. Write my story. A story that has already been written, apparently. They find it in this cell where it says, I, Nefarious, by James Martin. He's never written this book. He doesn't know anything. But he is hoping that James Martin will put out his words, his plot, his plan for taking over the world, hoping that other people will read this and fall to the dark side. That he's hoping that while he has James under his influence, he can get this thing published and get it to the masses and they can get more people and more souls that way. However, as important as some of this backward background information was in the Glenn Beck interview, I thought the interview was the only real contrived part of the entire movie. And that's where it kind of fell apart to me. I felt like they kind of left, they could have left that part out. And I think that's where a lot of critics stopped, stopped taking the movie seriously once they saw um, Glenn Beck. Whatever your opinion is of Glenn Beck, I don't care. Everyone has a right to their opinion. I don't think he was anything outrageous in the scene at all. I thought he did just fine. Glenn Beck has a compassionate side where he can just sit, kind of just listen and be in awe and engage with people in a very normal way. And that was very much him in the movie. But I thought the scene itself was unnecessary. And honestly, if they really wanted to get a message across, I think they could have left that out. And I think the impact would have not only been the same, but at the same time, greater. Does that make sense? So I felt like they could have left that part out. That was the only thing. But other than that, I thought this movie was incredibly effective. I thought it was beautifully done. Um, Haunting. It's not a horror. It's definitely a psychological thriller. I... My immediate thought, and I was actually talking to someone at church who wanted, who wants to see it, but heard from someone, they said they kind of compared to Science of the Lambs. That's the kind of vibe it gave me. I wouldn't compare it in terms of story, but there was something about the kind of the energy, the vibe and the mood of it that really reminded me of Clarice Starling going back and forth with Hannibal Lecter and just the push and the influence. But, you know, there was definitely a side of Hannibal Lecter that really loved and cared for Clarice Starling. That was obviously not here. But definitely kind of a similar vibe. But I enjoyed it for the most part. Critics, however, are not loving it. There aren't a whole lot of critics that are, you know, reviewing this on Rotten Tomatoes. But definitely enough to give it like a 29% rating on um that website, meaning they just don't find it to be that good. However, I take what critics have to say with a grain of salt because there are definitely a lot of movies that have gotten high ratings and shouldn't have. Some movies just get a pass because of one thing or another, and some movies get thrown to, you know, thrown to, you know, ripped to shreds for one reason or another. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the quality of the film, but the overall message that it sends or lack of message that it's sending. Sometimes it's a race thing. Sometimes it's a woman thing. 
you got to see some things for yourself. I recommend highly if you're if you're somebody who likes to read critic reviews. I enjoy reading critic reviews. That's me. I'm a nerd that way. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. Audiences are loving this, but critics not so much. Take it with a grain of salt. But me personally, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you for listening to me rant and or rave about another movie. So that was nefarious just to kind of sum it all up. Beautifully shot, great writing, great acting. The only issue I had was the very end. I thought they could have left that part off and it would have been more effective, but it is what it is. It wasn't terrible, but I highly enjoyed that. I thought it was a rare breed of a Christian movie where the quality and the message were both heavy and very well done, great executed from a, you know, pretty well-known, it seems, Christian directing team. Well, well-known to everyone but me, apparently. Why I didn't recognize their names, we'll never know, but it is what it is. So if you're someone who is a Christian, uh, heard about this movie, was unsure, I'm telling you, it's not what you probably think it is. No, it does not glorify demons or the devil. It definitely glorifies the Lord. and But it, it does kind of put things into a very interesting perspective in terms of sin but I think one of the best parts of the movie for me and I didn't mention this before but when they talk about Jesus and the resurrection the demon talking about the cross and he says the cross was our biggest mistake we thought we'd won we thought we had him and then he cheated talking about God he said he cheated that to me was so powerful what an interesting way to look at it, I, I, I think seeing that God is playing more than one game at once and game sounds like he's, you know, messing around, but his plan, I think, is much more deep and complex. And sometimes it's not always all about us, but he's doing something much greater. And I, I, I think that's what it kind of adds to. But that's just me. Let me know what you think. If you've seen it, if you are wanting to see it. Um, I don't think this is going to be in theaters for very long. From what I heard, it's supposed to maybe, maybe, maybe go to Amazon Prime after it's done with the theater run. I'm seeing this a lot with smaller films where they're just not chanting, you know, wasting money on theater spots or however that works. Um, so they'll have a small, short little theater run and then go to streaming somewhere or on demand. And that's typically how that flows. But, you know, it is what it is. But I enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was well done. So let me know what you think if you've seen it and let me know how you feel if you want to see it. So what's coming up? So I am seeing The Covenant today in a couple of hours. And so a review for that should be coming Wednesday or Friday. I haven't quite decided when I will release that review. And then Are You There, God? It's me, it's me Margaret. Uh, Thursday. I'm excited. I actually just got the book from the library. So I'm going to reread the book and then go see the movie because I found that when I was doing the review for Beautiful Disaster, that having read the book is actually helpful for a lot of people. So I know a lot of people are going to be wondering, how does this compare to the book? I think this is the first adaptation for this movie. Very surprised. Um, so yeah, I'll let you know what I think when I see that Thursday, that review will come out Friday. And then I have no idea what May's looking like. I need to check. I don't even know. I haven't even, I haven't given May any thought. I, I, 
April came and went really quick and I haven't given May any kind of thought. So be on the lookout on Instagram for movies that I'm planning to see in the month of May. And also I may as well just get out my list for June. I'm actually kind of looking forward to June, believe it or not. June is like not my favorite month of the year for many reasons. But yeah, so looking forward to June for movies coming out around that time. And I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking the time. I love you very much. It means the world to me. And I will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.